If you have a Bible with you this morning, feel free to open it to Matthew chapter 11, or feel free to use the Pew Bible that's there. We're going to be in the New Testament, so your first book in the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're going to go to chapter 11. If you're unfamiliar with that, just look for the big number 11, and then look for the little number 25. That's the verse that we're going to be in, if you're kind of unfamiliar with how to find stuff in the Bible. Remember, we're in the gospel accounts, which say someone's here. The Old Testament says someone's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say someone's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament says someone's coming again. And who is that someone? Who, what is the Bible all about? It is about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what God has done. And so we are this morning going to consider the ministry and work of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. And what we've been doing over the course of the summer is we've been looking at this list in Galatians chapter 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we kind of had a topical study. What we normally do, if you're visiting with us, what we normally do is we just take a book and we'll just unpack it verse by verse by verse and spend several months or sometimes over a year in a particular book just picking it apart. And what we're doing this summer is just a kind of a topical survey of the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, we're looking at the fruit of gentleness, and we're going to see that in Matthew 11, probably a very well-known passage. But as you're turning there, just kind of wake everybody up and kind of orient us to what we're going to talk about this morning, there's a guy who has been a judge in Rhode Island since 1985, and his name is Frank Caprio. And one day, a man came before him in court with a really expensive parking ticket, uh, and the man was guilty of the ticket, and he was there to receive his sentence. You know, it's one of those things that they got a ticket, I, I, I'm here, you got me, you caught me, I'm here to pay up. And so he's appearing before the judge, hoping for a little leniency. If any of y'all have ever gotten a ticket and had to go to traffic court, you know what it's like to stand before a judge. And, you know, at some point, especially like we, I got one in Virginia in time. I, was pay, I wasn't paying attention and the speed zone dropped and I was singing along with my kids because there was a train and it went, from a, it went from a 45 to a 35 just like that and I carried on and the cop got me. I'm like, you got me. It's my fault. And I had to I remember going before the judge and just the same thing. I was there to receive my sentence and this guy's in that same situation and even worse yet in the midst of this, this guy had to bring his son along because he couldn't find anybody to watch him while he was in court. Did I also mention that this judge actually had a local TV show, so all of this was caught on camera and sent out. And so not only was he there, he was embarrassed to be there, he also had to bring his son along, which made it even more embarrassing, and to make it triply embarrassing, he was being sent out on the TV. You can imagine how fun that was. And the judge heard the man come up and plead guilty, and he had to come up, and the judge then had to come up with what the appropriate punishment was going to be. But then... Something incredible happened, and I'll tell you about that at the end. This morning, we're talking about fruit number eight, which is the fruit of gentleness. The Greek word there is prautes, and so we're considering this fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. And writing in 1839, a man named George Bethune said, Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manners than as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. He said, it's a very, it's a very weird thing for us to pray and ask the Lord to give us gentleness. We didn't come naturally. I know that in and of myself. I struggle with gentleness. I do. Here I stand. I've been praying as I've been even considering this. Lord, help me to be more gentle. 
Help me to be more kind. Lord, please work this into me. And you think about this idea of, of gentleness. In our culture, we consider gentleness to be weakness. That's why oftentimes, especially us men, when we hear that word, we recoil because we think that gentleness and meekness is a sign of being weak or a sign of being soft. But I'm here to tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. And so if you are naturally kind of not inclined to that word, I'm, all I'm asking you this morning is just to, let's see what the Bible says about gentleness. And I want to give you an example of what gentleness looks like. Imagine you have a friend who needs an exact dose of medicine. So imagine one of these little cups that we're going to pass here in a minute for the Lord's Supper. And you know it's full of grape juice. And sometimes you get one and it's filled all the way to the top. And you know all the way to the brim where the liquid is kind of bubbling over the top? That full. Imagine your friend is sick and needs an exact dose of medicine. And that little cup has the exact amount that your friend needs. You can't spill one drop. And what you have to do is you have to transport that cup back to your friend so that they can receive the medicine or the antidote that they need. How would you carry that? You would carry it very gently, would you not? You would be taking your steps. You'd be watching it. You would be very ginger in the way that you took Because why? Why would you do that? You carry it gently because you don't want to spill any of the medicine. Why? Because the medicine is valuable. But not only is the medicine valuable, the person that you're delivering that medicine to is valuable. Both of those things are valuable. It's like when we pass the Lord's Supper that we're going to do here at the end. The, the bread trays always go through fast. You know, if you're ever, I've, I've helped pass the supper and the bread trays kind of just go back and forth because you're like, that's ah, bread. But the juice trays always take twice as long to pass. Why? Because you have to handle them very gently. You know that you don't want to spill this all over you and your neighbor. And so you deal with that very gently and gingerly. You'll see in just a minute when we do it. You see, gentleness works this way. We treat others gently because they are valuable. We honor others. We listen to them. We pray for them. We treat them with respect. We see them as fellow image bearers of God. Not only that, gentleness can also be described as having the ability to fully show your strength, but you don't for the sake of others. A good example of this is if you ever played sports with small children, you don't go full on with them. You have the ability to, but you don't. You're gentle with them. You want to enjoy playing the game. Remember, there was a kind of a spoof commercial when Peyton Manning was the uh, host of Saturday Night Live, they did like a, a spoof commercial of him raising money for kids. And what you see him doing is playing football with kids on the street. And, you know, it's like a fake commercial. And what he ends up doing in the course of that commercial is throwing the football as hard as he would in a game. And you see him just absolutely just decking these kids on the street and then berating them. You know, Peyton Manning drops back and you think he'd lob a gingerly pass. Instead, he throws it full at him and nails this dude in the head. And he's like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you catch it? You know, and what it's designed to show you is the absurdity of that. And so you think about gentleness, and gentleness is stooping down to help someone. It's sensitivity and kindness. It's founded on strength. It's prompted by love. And so you think, where do we see that kind of gentleness in the Bible? Where do we get a picture of that? Matthew 11, Christ Jesus himself. I'm, so let's look at Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word as we consider this fruit of gentleness this morning. 
At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, there's our word, and lowly in heart. For you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that and I hope you are as well. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to your word with expectant hearts. And Father, we pray that you would please meet us here. Help us to see more of you. Lord, help us to even see more of ourselves, O Lord, in light of your holiness. Father, help us to rush to Christ. Help us to dwell in the beauty of the gospel. Holy Spirit, please change us, O Lord, in some small way. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. As we continue to look at each fruit of the Spirit in that list in Galatians chapter 5, it's important for us again to remember how these fruit work. If you're here with us this morning, we've been talking about this every week. These fruit of the Spirit, they are a gift. They are a gift, a result of the grace and love of God. They are not a checklist of things that you need to bring before God and say, am I good enough? Is this enough love? Is this enough joy? Is this enough peace or patience? Have I done this enough in and of myself for you to finally warrant, you know, for me to somehow earn salvation? That's not how the fruit of the Spirit work. The fruit of the Spirit are a sign of God's grace at work in your heart from the moment of conversion. It's this process of sanctification whereby we are conformed more to the image of Christ over the course of our lives. And that's how these fruit work. They are result. They are a result of the grace and love of God. Again, Christopher Wright, I've mentioned this a few times, he had this quote, Cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, you see, is not about polishing your own halo or keeping up a good image. It's about making Christ visible and making the gospel attractive. And you think about part of what makes the gospel attractive is the fact that it includes an invitation to come to Christ even in the midst of our sin and brokenness and to rest in his gentle heart. Remember we sang earlier, I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down. He said, I came to Jesus as I was, weary, worn, and sad. These invitations that we sing over and over again, come to Jesus, O you sinners, come to him. And we rest in his gentle heart. And as we're driven deeper into the gospel, we're changed by the Holy Spirit and the, at the heart level. And then we're set free to live gentle lives because our identity is safe in Christ. And so the big question that we're going to ask this morning is this. How does the gospel free us to live gently with others? How does the gospel free us to live gently with others? Unlike the past two weeks that were pointless sermons, we actually have two points this week. So the first point, we remember the gentleness of God. Number two, we respond to the gentleness of God. So we remember the gentleness of God, dwell upon him, and then we respond in some way. Those are our two points as we ask the question, how does the gospel free us to live gently with others? So let's look at that first point. We remember the gentleness of God. 
And as we consider this very familiar passage in Matthew's gospel, it's very important for us to set it in context. What's going on here in the narrative? Matthew 11 and 12, there is this opposition to the Messiah by the religious establishment. If you were here and you, were, you spent any time in the Gospel of John, you realize that Jesus was in trouble with the Pharisees a lot. And he was, there was opposition to him constantly through the Pharisees and people trying to take him out because he claimed to be the Son of God. There was this just division and restlessness that was there. We see that in the larger passage of what's going on here in Matthew's Gospel. And in chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he's talking about the ministry of John the Baptist who was sent to herald the coming of the Messiah. And who he's pointing to is that this guy named John, even he was hated and rejected. And so if he was hated and rejected, I'm going to be hated and rejected. And any of you who follow me are also going to be hated and rejected by the world. In verses 20 and 24 that come right before our passage we're going to consider this morning, Jesus mentions four cities by name where he had performed miracles and was hated and rejected because everyone missed the arrival of the Messiah. Again, the Old Testament said, somebody's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, somebody's here. Jesus comes on the scene and said, I'm the Son of God. I'm that promised Messiah. And everybody misses it. And he mentions these four cities by name. That it just missed it. And in verse 25, now Jesus publicly prays and thanks his Father for his sovereignty and for revealing himself, not to the proud, not to the arrogant by their own intellectual pursuit, but to the lowly by faith. It's a simple message received with a simple faith, all by grace alone. Look at verse 26. It says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And you see there in verse 25, he revealed them to even little children. It's a simple message, a simple gospel message received with a simple faith, and it's all by grace alone and the sovereign will of God. And then look at verse 27. Jesus makes this shocking claim. He has a direct and immediate knowledge of God the Father, and all authority has been given to him to carry out the work of redemption. And we ask the question then, but how would Christ primarily carry out that work? By a pompous show of unbridled strength and power? No. People were actually frustrated with him in the Gospels because he didn't come in riding on a a valiant war horse covered in armor with a great army and riding victorious to overthrow things. No, people got frustrated with him because he said, I came to bring another kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world and I'm coming to do it. In a different way. Jesus came and his work would be done primarily by gentleness and self-sacrifice. By stooping low. Dane Ortland wrote this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. We gave out hundreds of copies here. Some of y'all are going through it. Wonderful book. Again, highly, highly recommend it. Here's what Ortland wrote. Jesus does not love like us. Aren't you grateful for that? I am. He says, we love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. What a reminder of the love and grace of our Lord. And how did he love like this until the end? What's that look like? You probably know where I'm going. He went all the way to the cross. All the way. And how did he go? How did Jesus go to that cross where he says, I will love you until the end? How did Jesus, how was he led to the cross? 
fighting and kicking and screaming and swinging a sword? No, like a lamb led to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led there gently. He went willingly. When Jesus hung on the cross, the crowd mocked him for claiming to be the Son of God, and they told him to save himself. Do you remember that scene? Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's humiliated. Most people think that he had been stripped naked. He is between heaven and earth, hanging on a tree. And if that's not bad enough, people were kicking him when he was down. And at the foot of the cross, just mocking him. Oh, well, you said you're the Son of God. If you're so powerful, then step down from that cross and save yourself. And what's wrong with you? And you think about what's going on in that scene. Jesus had all the power and might of God at the, of the universe at his disposal. He had all of it right there. And with one word, he could have unleashed the unbridled strength and power of heaven with just a word. An army of angels could have come. But he didn't, did he? He stayed on the cross to stoop low to save his people from their sin. That's what the incarnation is all about. Our, father, our, our Savior left His Father's throne. We just sang about it. He came and He dwelt among us. And He stooped low to be able to rescue and to redeem us. That's the, just the amazing thing about the incarnation. But even when you're thinking about that, have you ever thought, how did God the Father deal with Jesus on the cross, His own Son? Did He deal with Him gently? No, He did not. The Father did not deal gently with His Son as Jesus was treated like a sinner in our place. God's holiness demanded that that sin needed to be judged and it needed to be dealt with. And so Jesus took the full weight of God's wrath for sin as God the Father did not deal with His Son gently. He dealt with Him with wrath. The full cup of His wrath poured out upon the only person in human history who didn't deserve it. Here's what the Jesus Storybook Bible said. Sally Lloyd-Jones, really great little chapter. It's called The Sun Stopped Shining. It's a kid's Bible. Here's what she said. Speaking of the cross, but Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer he turned away from his boy, and tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. You see, we stand and we forget that our sin needed to be dealt with. And Jesus willingly went to the cross to deal with that. And he was not dealt with gently by the Father. He was dealt with as a sinner receiving in himself the just penalty that we deserve because of our sin. And this is why the gospel of grace is so breathtaking. Because God poured out his wrath and anger on Christ so that he could now deal gently with us. You ever thought about that? God the Father was not gentle with his own son as he was dealing with sin so that by grace... He could deal gently with us because his wrath has been put away fully in Christ. The supper is a physical reminder of this. We're so quick to forget, are we not? And this table that's set before us, this, this, this bread and this cup is a picture of Christ's body and his blood broken and shed for you. For the forgiveness of sins. A reminder of the cup of wrath that Jesus himself drank to the bottom. So that... 
on the other side of it, God the Father could deal gently with us. And so as you take this supper this morning, be reminded of the grace of God. Be reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus himself gave up his own life as the Father poured out his wrath upon his Son. This is now a table of grace, a reminder of the gentle and lowly heart of our Savior who calls us to come to Him in the midst of our brokenness. We'll say before, this table is not a table for perfect people. This is not a table for people that have their lives all put together. This is a table for people that realize that they need Jesus. And we realize that He deals with us gently because His heart is gentle and lowly. Psalm 103, 9-13 reminds us of just this great exchange that happened in the, the, the heart of the Father. It says, He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love. And that word hesed, your covenant faithfulness, toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion, that's the Hebrew word for gentleness. So to, as, he, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so as we consider and we remember the gentleness of God, because of the work on the cross, Jesus calls us to follow him by faith and to model this gentleness to the world around us. So remember, we've been talking about the proper gospel order. We love, why? Because God first loved us. We show patience, why? Because God has been patient with us. We are called to be faithful, why? Because Christ himself has been faithful to us first. And so now, why are we called to be gentle as the fruit of the Spirit? Why are we called to that? Because God has been gentle with us first. Getting that in the proper order changes absolutely everything. And so now in our second point, we not only remember the gentleness of God that was purchased for us through His wrath being poured out through His Son, we now respond to the gentleness of God. How, do we, how are we called to live? This is the so what. That's our second point. Look at verses 28 to 30. When Jesus Himself said, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may have heard this given as an invitation. It's a wonderful invitation, and rightfully so. But have you ever thought about how this is an absolute amazing picture of God's grace? It is an invitation, but it also is a picture of His grace. Here's what Kent Hughes said about this in his helpful commentary. He said, Quote, Jesus does not invite those who have found their self-worth. He does not invite the self-satisfied. He does not invite the self-righteous. He does not invite those living the life of ease with their legs outstretched and their feet pushing through the soft sand of the beach. Here Jesus invites all who labor and are heavy laden. He invites the tired, the poor, the tempest-tossed, the wretched refuse, those huddled masses yearning to be free. End quote. You see, as we better understand our need for grace, we better understand the giver of that grace. Let me say that again. As we better understand our need for grace, we also better understand the giver of that grace. And as we better understand the giver of that grace, the, we better understand that he is what? Gentle and lowly of heart. Jesus is the fullest example of God's power 
and his gentleness join together. You ever thought about that? He is the ultimate picture of God's power and his might. All authority on on heaven and earth has been given to me, but yet I stay at the cross because I love him. And even even in his dying moments, remember what he did? He asked somebody to take care of his mom. Please watch out for her. So you see this picture of these two things joined together. Here's a couple of examples. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Speaking of Jesus, said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's a powerful Christ. But yet also, listen to Isaiah 40. This passage that pointed forward in the Old Testament, pointed forward to the one who was going to come. And how is he described? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Powerful, but gentle at the same time. King and shepherd. It's amazing when you think about it. Okay, so what? Before you check out, so what? Imagine if Jesus did not deal gently with sinners. Where would that leave us? All in big trouble. Imagine if he just dispassionately applied the full weight of the law immediately on lawbreakers. What if he said, look, you broke the rules and that's it. So here comes judgment. We would all be in trouble, would we not? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What if he just dispassionately handed out justice? You broke the rules, that's it. We'd have no hope. Imagine if God actually dealt with us as our sins deserve instead of dealing with us gently and patiently like we don't deserve. Imagine if Jesus just scolded us for, quote, not being good enough instead of doing everything necessary to make us right with God. We said, well, you messed up. Go be like your big brother. Go be like your big sister. Why can't you get your act together? What if God dealt with us like that? We'd be in big trouble, would we not? You see, we take the gentleness of Jesus for granted. We don't stand in awe of it. We don't don't just stand there in awe of it. We take it for granted. Remember we talked about last week. We take the faithfulness of God for granted. It just kind of fades into the background. We don't stand in awe that each and every day is a gift of God's grace where he deals gently with us. We just take it for granted. We take for granted his good heart. But you can't take it for granted when you realize what your sin actually deserves. What your sin actually deserves is wrath and judgment and hell. But yet, God the Father's made a way through His Son. And now He's dealing gently with us. Because His heart towards us is one of grace and kindness and gentleness because of His work on the cross. So you can't stand in awe of... You you can't take that for granted when you really realize and remember where you stand before a holy God. And all of a sudden then you go, Thank you, Lord. That you are gentle and lowly in heart. Thank you, Lord. You know who else understood this? The Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee, and what did he do? He rigidly applied the law to others, and he dealt harshly with them. That's an understatement, right? What was he doing? He was kicking down doors and dragging people off to prison, and people were, were throwing their cloaks down and saying, Good job, Saul. Great job. Way to apply the law of God. Yes, good job. He knew what that was. He, he just rigidly applied this law to other people and he dealt harshly with them. And he actually thought that's what God wanted until Jesus showed up. 
He realized that his, his whole life was changed and when he understood the patience and grace of God towards him. He realized that he had missed the grace of God. He had missed the kindness of Christ. And instead, moving forward after that point where he was given a new name and a new mission and he took up that name Paul, his Greek name, so he could go and reach these people that he once hated and he once persecuted. The thing that he realized is that he had missed it all. The Jesus Storybook Bible said it wasn't about rules, it's about grace. It's not about trying, it's about trusting. It's about resting in Christ. It changed his, his whole way of doing things. And you even read in his letters, instead of throwing his apostolic weight around or his extensive religious resume, what did Paul do? He appealed to others out of the meekness and gentleness of Christ and with gospel humility. It changed the way he did everything. Don't believe me? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he goes on to say I, in Corinthians, I appeal to you by the gentleness of God. He was able to say, I am the chief of sinners. That's me. And he was, you see in, in Thessalonians where he says, we didn't come to you with with power or might or a pretext for greed. We came to you with meekness and humility like a mother caring for her own children because our hearts are tender towards you. He could have thrown his weight around, but he didn't. He appealed to them. And so, when you consider your life and your dealings with others, what does it look more like? Does it look more like the Pharisees who are demanding perfection out of others and rigidly applying the law? Or does it look like Jesus Gently correcting sin out of your own sense of how much grace you've been shown. How is the Holy Spirit changing the way you deal with others? Are you growing more gentle or are you growing more harsh? Which way? And you're operating with others. Are you really quick to apply the law? See, that's the thing. We are very quick to apply the law, but we don't want to be held to that law, do we? We want to, we want to demand perfection out of other people, but we don't want to be held to that same extent. We don't, we don't want to extend grace to others, do we? But we want grace extended to us, do we not, when we mess up? And how is the Holy Spirit changing your heart in this way to become more gentle? I'm guilty of it too. How are we, what's, what's our, what does the trajectory of our heart look like? Growing more gentle or growing more harsh? Here's what Bridges said, I'm almost done, hang with me. Bridges said, gentleness will also avoid blunt speech in an abrupt manner, instead seeking to answer everyone with sensitivity and respect, ready to show consideration towards all. Gentle Christians do not feel that they have the liberty to, quote, say what I think and let the chips fall where they may. Instead, they're sensitive to the reaction of others to their words and considerate of how others may feel about what they say. When gentle Christians find it necessary to wound with words, they also seek to bind up those wounds with words of consolation and encouragement. You see, contrary to what our culture says, gentleness is a wonderful thing in the eyes of God. It's a wonderful thing to be prayed for. Jerry Bridges said, A friend of mine, an ex-Marine, often signs his letters, Keep tough and tender. And what's that mean? Tough on ourselves and tender with others. That's the spirit of gentleness. Tough on our own sin, gentle with others. The heart of kindness and gentleness. And the call's the same in all cases, right? What's the fastball I'm going to throw? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. 
Look to Jesus. Look to Christ in your struggle with this as you ask the Lord, Lord, please help me to be more gentle. I've been praying that all week as I've been wrestling with this. Lord, help me be like that. I'm not. And if I haven't been gentle with you, all I can say is I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me as I seek the Lord's face? I'm not a perfect guy. If I've dealt harshly with you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to do that. I wrestle with sin in my heart just like you do. That's all I can ask for is forgiveness and grace and kindness. And, and, and ask the Lord to help me in this way. I want to be tough on myself. I want to be tough on myself first in my own sin. So I can be tender with you as Christ is. The call is the same. Look to Christ. Consider Him. Take His yoke of gospel freedom and learn from Him. Why? Why should we do that? Because He's gentle and lowly in heart. That's why. We don't come to Him with fear. We come to Him trusting in His goodness and kindness and His gentleness. Christopher Wright gave a wonderful practical illustration of living out this kind of gospel gentleness in his book. He said, quote, But I think that in practical day-to-day terms, the deepest root of this kind of gentleness is genuine humility. And by humility, I mean the deep awareness that I am just as human and flawed and tempted as anyone else. I really have no reason to feel superior and get aggressive when other people show their flaws and failings. Not if I know my own heart. And so when somebody else makes a mistake or drops something or loses the keys or forgets to do what they promised or generally messes things up, things that happen to all of us at some point in life, at that moment I try not to lose my temper and rage at them, shouting angry words of accusation and blame. No, I control that instinctive response because I remind myself, often just in time, that it could just as easily have been me making that mistake. And if it had been me, how would I want others to respond to my foolishness or weakness or mistakes? Humility comes a lot easier when you really know yourself, when you know the weak and flawed person who is living inside the shell you have on the outside. Then, out of that deep well of self-knowledge and gratitude for the grace of God that has rescued you from your own sin and failure, comes humility before God and gentleness towards others. End quote. All right, do you remember that judge in the courtroom? You remember that scene where I left you? The guy stands before the judge. He's know he's guilty. His son's with him. He feels embarrassed. He also knows the cameras are rolling. You remember that? Do you want to hear the incredible thing that happened? Here it is. You see, the judge asked five-year-old Jacob to come up front and sit with him on the bench. He kind of scooted over and said, come sit with me. And he said, your dad is guilty of parking illegally, and he has a $90 ticket. I have three choices to make. And he's, he's just kind of talking to this kid. He said, I've got three choices to make. I can, pay, I can make him pay $90, I can make him pay $30, or I can make him pay nothing at all. What do you think I should do? And Jacob thought about it in his little five-year-old brain, and he came back and he said, 30 bucks. Same thing happened in the courtroom, right? Everybody in the courtroom, including the judge, just busted out laughing because he's, you know, instead of giving his own dad the, the, the free ticket out, he's like, no, he probably should still pay 30 bucks. And when the, then the judge asked, he asked Jacob, he says, have you eaten breakfast yet? And Jacob said, no. And the judge said, what if I make your dad take you out to a nice breakfast and then I dismiss this fine? Well, do you think that'll be a good deal? And Jacob agreed. And the ticket was dismissed. You see, here's the thing about Judge Caprio. He had every right to apply the full weight of the law, did he not? The guy was guilty. You parked illegally. You owe 90 bucks. I could 
completely forced this upon you, plus court cost. He had every right to apply the full weight of the law, but he chose to be gracious and gentle. He had all the strength and the ability to do it, but he chose to be gentle with this guy, to love him. And so you think in the, in the last little bit as we move towards the supper, you see God could have applied the full weight of the law on us, but Jesus willingly took the punishment that we deserved. And because God has been gentle with us, we are called to be gentle with others. We're to be careful and gentle with our words and our actions. Proverbs 51 reminds us, Proverbs 15.1 reminds us, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So look to Christ. Remember his gentle and lowly heart towards you. And then respond by asking the Holy Spirit to give you more of the fruit of gentleness for the glory of Christ and for the praise and help of your neighbors. It's a good and right thing for us to pray. And so we say, Lord, please give us more gentleness because you've been gentle with us first. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you that you deal gently and kindly with us, not because of anything that we have done in and of ourselves, but because of your grace and your kindness. And so as we approach the table here in just a moment, O oh Lord, remind us again as we take the cup, as we eat the bread and drink the cup, remind us, O oh Lord, that you went all the way to the cross for us and the Father dealt harshly with you so that you could deal gently with us because your sin, because our sin has been put away and God's wrath has been put away. And so, Father, we do pray for more of this fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we pray for a lot, but we do pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to be gentle. Lord, and help us to just glory in the cross and revel in Christ and all that you have done to the praise of your glorious grace. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.